Well, good morning. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here with us, I just want to welcome you and say thank you for joining us. Um, just so, so glad to be here with you, to be able to worship together. Um, we are in this series in, uh, in Psalms, uh, and we're going to continue there today. Uh, if I asked you, and if you've spent some time reading in the Old Testament, if I were to ask you some of the confusing things or some of the things that make reading the Old Testament difficult, uh, I imagine some of the things we would say might be similar. We might say things like, what's with all of the genealogies and the, the numbers that are written? Why is there so many censuses written in the Old Testament? We might say something about uh, what's with all the laws and the sacrifices and what, what's the significance of some of these things and what value do we put on these things. Uh, something else that might be difficult for us is, um, is related to, to things that we see uh, throughout the history of Israel, where why is it there is this constant pattern or obsession that Israel seems to have with idols, like, wouldn't you think, like, there's this long pattern that we see throughout the Old Testament where God blesses Israel, they fall into idolatry and start worshiping the idols uh, of the communities around them, uh, God punishes them for it, they repent, God restores them, and then this cycle repeats itself, and it repeats itself over and over and over, and at some point you just think, like, wouldn't you just know from your history how this is going to go? Like, what's the deal with this? Why is there this obsession with idols? And why does this just keep happening over and over? And it seemed like this, this endless, endless cycle. Like, at some point, doesn't it kind of sink in? Like, this is going to be what the outcome is. And you know how God is going to respond to this. And you also know how God responds when you repent and the restoration that he finds. Like, what, why, why does this happen? And I think... Before we can get too critical with Israel uh, and, and their obsession with these idols, we, don't we kind of do the same sort of thing also ourselves? Like, don't we sort of have these certain idols that we just kind of keep falling back to? And we know time after time they let us down. Time after time there's these things that we cling to and we hope to, and yet they never really seem to, to provide the, the deliverance or the blessing that, that they seem to promise. They let us down, and then there's failure and the, the fallout that happens from it, and yet, given enough time, we're going to go back to these things. You know, and so think about some of the idols that we have, things that are common to us, things like our, an idolatry of security, where, where I just want to make sure that I'm not going to experience loss, that I'm always going to be comfortable and safe. Maybe it's something financial, but also sometimes it's things that are social. Like, I want to make sure that I'm never lonely. I want to make sure that, that I always have more than I need, and so I'm never at risk. And so there, there can be an idolatry of security. There can be an idolatry of efficiency, where I need to pack as much into my schedule and multitask as much as possible so that way I never miss out on anything. That way I always can look at myself and say, I'm productive, I've made use of every opportunity I had, I never missed out on anything. And so it can be hard for us to just set things aside and, and just enjoy the sunshine. And we know like when we have those experiences that, oh, I, I know it was good for me to, to stop and smell the flowers, but 
it's still something that's hard for me to, to keep going to. Something Mike and I were talking about during the week, uh, another thing that we, we might idolize that we don't talk about as much is, is what about some of the, mor- the, the morals of our society? And sometimes how some of those morals can be different than biblical morality. There, there certainly is, a, is an overlap in some cases, but there are certain things that our society tells us are more important, are more good, or maybe even more evil than, than what scripture would tell us. And so we end up saying things like, well, I don't want to be on the wrong side of history, so I'm going to dot, dot, dot. We hear people say things like, I could never work for someone who holds this, this view. I could never be friends with somebody who holds this view. And, and so there are certain things that we say, there are, there are, our society tells us that there are certain lines that you need to hold to that these are the ultimate goods and you need to cling to these things. And sometimes it's, it's an exaggeration uh, of things that, that Scripture tells us, and sometimes it's something that's completely separate. Psalm 115, the, the passage we're going to talk about today, it makes this comparison between the, the idols that, that we might hold to and, and true worship of God. And it gives us this contrast of what, what worshiping one leads to versus worshiping the other. And, and it makes this, this comparison. And so that's what we're going to be spending some time talking about today. Uh, as, as we start, it starts at, by, by looking at the natures of the nature of idols and the nature of, of God. So I'm going to read from Psalm 115. Uh, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, uh, we'll also have it up on the screen. Starting, I'm going to read starting in verse 4. It says, But their idols are neither silver and gold made by the hands of men. Or excuse me, their idols are silver and gold made by the hands of men. Speaking of, of idols, he says, uh, Idols are things that, that are made of silver and gold. In, in the time, there could also be idols that were made of stone or wood. But here he points to specifically the things made of silver and gold, things that are, are valuable. Things that, that in of them, the materials of themselves, there's use for them. There, there's purpose. You can put to good use gold and silver. You can use it in different things, and it, it communicates value. And, but here, in, in the use of an idol, it, it becomes a distortion of what that material is. It's used for something other than how it could be used. And it, all, it communicates that there's something valuable and even a magnific- magnificence to this object. And so their, their idols are something that they have the appearance of worth and value. And there's this, there's this promise that they seem to have because of that. And I think that there's something valuable that, that idols and a, a hold that they seem to have because there's something tangible about them. You know, you can, there's something perceptible about idol, idols, that you can, you can see them, you can, you can observe them, you can touch them. There's something that you can see and, and experience about idols that, that's different than, than the worship of our God. And so there's some kind of hold about this because I know that I can go to this idol and I know what the practices are and I can go and I can try to get the things that I want from it. And there's something very concrete and practical about, about idol worship. He contrasts this in verse 2 and 3. And look at what he says. He says, Why do the nations say, where is their God? 
And he says in verse 3, our God is in heaven. He says something similar when you skip down to verse 16. He says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth he has given to man. He, he says there's something here that, that as much as idols are something that, that are concrete, something that are perceivable, you can experience, he says there's something to, uh, about God and a, and a complaint against God is that where is he? That I can't perceive him. I can't touch him. I can't, I can't reach out and, and see him. I can't have this, this face-to-face interaction with him. And so the, the, the complaint that the Israelites often heard from, from those around them is they said, well, where is your God? That's evidence that your God is absent. At least your God is powerless to appear. Like, we can at least see our idols and what we're worshiping. You don't even know, where is your God? And the psalmist's argument is, no, this is actually an argument for God's power. That, that there's not something that can represent him. There's not something that, that can contain him, that he can't be accurately represented or, or contained in something in his creation. That God is too big for this, that God is in heaven. This speaks to God being over all of creation. Instead of being a God over one aspect of nature or one aspect of life, one aspect of, of a geographic region. He says, God is God of heaven. He is over all things. There are all, every single aspect of creation falls under his dominion. And so the fact that you don't see him, the fact that we don't have an idol or some kind of representation for him, it is something that, that is uh, to speak to his, his magnificence and how great he is. That this is, this is not an argument against God, but this is an argument for his power. I think that we long for having concrete and a sure way of knowing that we are interacting with God. Uh, a, a sure way that we know I can have access to God and that God hears me and God can respond to me. A sure way I want to be able to reach out and touch God. I want to know that he hears what I'm struggling with. I want to know that he understands what I'm going through. And one of the difficulties is, is we can say, where, where is my God? And the, the pull of idolatry is, at least I can go and I can experience for certain and know how to find security. I can know how to find a way that I feel like I'm moral and virtuous. I can go and I can do these things. I can save a little bit more money. I can spend less. I can do these things. I can say nicer things to people. And then I start feeling more secure or I start feeling more virtuous. And those are ways that I can start feeling like I can achieve the idol that I hold to. But with God, what if, what if God doesn't actually hear me? What if God isn't actually listening to me? What if God, what if I'm bringing my needs before God and he actually just doesn't respond or doesn't even care? And so I look to those things and I think, man, I just want something concrete and I want step one, two, and three so that I can go and I can get the thing that I need. And so there's this strong pull over us that idolatry has. C.S. Lewis writes, human history is the long, terrible story 
of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So human history is the long, terrible story of us looking for anything other than God to meet the needs that we have. That we have this constant pull away from God towards to something else that we think will give us what we need, something that we think will give us the value, provide for us and give a, avoid any disaster and calamity and that we think will provide us and protect us, anything other than God. And so that, and that's the story of history, and we see that through, through the Old Testament with Israel falling into idolatry, and if we look at our own lives, we can see that too, of time after time where we're pulled aside and we, and we pursue something other than God to meet those needs. You know, this isn't to say that the tangible experiences aren't valuable, this isn't to say that there are times in life where it's important to have an actual hug from someone. Like to sit down and, and hear someone's uh, story, to hear someone listen to you, to have those experiences, those are, those are very biblical things. But those things happen in the context of worship with, for, of God. Those happen because of what the gospel has done and how it's transformed our relationships and what the gospel says about our value and, and our community's value. Those things don't happen in the context of idolatry, that idolatry can't meet those needs. Our hearts are drawn towards created things. And our hope is that those things will be able to meet the needs that we have. And instead... We feel that God, even though he is magnificent, even though he is all-powerful, we doubt that he is present with us. God is different in nature than our idols. He's also different in power. We'll continue in verse 5. Speaking of, of the idols, he says, They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear. Noses, but they can't smell. They have hands, but cannot feel. Feet, but they cannot walk. Nor can they utter a sound with their throats. He speaks to these idols. They seem to have all of the tools and they have the appearance of value and everything that you would need to meet your needs. They seem like they have life, but they don't. They have the illusion of being able to provide everything that you need, but there is nothing in them. They are hollow and they are empty. There is no power in these idols. The things that, that we look at and the things that we worship and the things that we put our hope in, they have the illusion that they will be enough to meet the deep longings of our heart. And this passage is saying they have that appearance, but there's no power that's available in them. They will let us down time after time. In contrast, he says in, in verse 3, uh, we read the first part of this already. He said, our God is in heaven. And then he says something interesting. He says, he does whatever pleases him. Our God is in heaven. He does whatever pleases him. This, this verse, uh, a lot of times it or just the way it initially sounds can feel a little bit cringy. Like, it can sound like, is God moody or something? He's just going to wake up and be like, today I feel like doing this. And he goes and does this. And then tomorrow I'm going to do this. 
And the, the point of this isn't that, that God is, is swayed just by impulse, but he's saying the way in which God chooses to act pleases him. Like God's actions and how he chooses to act, he delights in those ways. And how does he choose to act? If we look back to verse 1, the psalmist describes God as faithful and loving. Later on in the passage, it describes him as a shield and a help. So how does God choose to act? What is it that pleases God in how he acts? It's being loving. It's being faithful. In contrast to the idol, which doesn't have the power to do anything, that has the appearance of value of gold and silver and something precious, but ultimately can't do anything, it says God is, is a loving God, a God who looks at us, and when he is faithful and loving to us, he actually delights in that. That it pleases him to act this way. Something that, that should give us reassurance of how of how God is and how he'll provide for us. See, I think when, when we turn to our idols, we, we think this idol will give me what I need and the draw is to it is that it's concrete and I can take these steps. But also there's a pull to it in that I often experience a temporary relief or a temporary blessing from this idol. When we, when we pursue those things, there is a way where I feel like for a moment my need was met. There is a way that it's temporary and it's fleeting, but at least for a moment I felt some relief. And so this seemed to meet my need. It doesn't last and it leaves me in somewhere worse after that, but for a moment I felt good. For a moment, I felt like this was sufficient and was powerful enough to meet what I was longing to. And so an idol is powerful because when things get bad enough, I know I can turn to that. And it's, it's not going to last. It's not going to meet my needs. But sometimes that's all I can think about is the very next moment. And so that's what I'm going to turn to because at least for that moment, I'll be provided for and I'll have what I need. And it's hard to look at God and say, God, I'm waiting. Where, where are you? You say that you're faithful. You say that you're loving, but I'm waiting. And I still don't experience it. And I need help and I need relief right now. I don't have more time to wait. And it's difficult to keep waiting and keep waiting. And when you know that there's immediate temporary relief right there that you can turn to, can't I, can't I just have that just to get through the day? And that makes trusting in God and holding out for him so difficult when I want that. And so give it to me now. St. Augustine, uh, early church father, he, he speaks of this, and this is a statement that you, you, a very famous quote that you might have heard before, but he speaks about the way that we've been designed and created. And he says, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. He, he speaks to the very way that we are made as creation is meant to be in relation 
to our Creator. That anything we use as a substitute to try to meet a need that was designed, a hole that was designed to be filled by a Creator, nothing else will be adequate, nothing else will be able to sufficiently meet that need. And so we might get a temporary fix from it, but it's never something that's going to be sustained. It's never something that's going to be adequate, and so I will always be left wanting more. It's only God that can meet this need, and so I, I, have, I really have no choice but to hold out hope. But this passage gives us hope in saying that God is faithful, God is loving, when he acts and when he provides for us, he delights in what he provides for us. That he has good intentions for us, he has a, he has a good purpose, and that's something that we can hope for. What we choose to worship also provides us with a very different outcome. We'll go to the, the third point. This is in in verse 8 that we're going to read. Those who make them will be like them. This is speaking of, of those who worship these idols, who have ears that do not hear, that have mouths that cannot speak. And he says, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. There's, there's no life in the idol. There's no, no power. There's nothing there that, that gives life. And he says that when we put our hope in idols, when we put our hope in some kind of substitute for God, there is no way that it will meet our need and it will actually make us become more like them. You think that, that the idol should give life, but in the opposite, it actually takes life. It should provide deliverance and hope, but it does the opposite. That I should be able to turn to that and think, I have an idol of security, but when I worship that and when I pursue that, I become less and less secure, and then I become more and more enslaved to this. That there's no deliverance from it, and it takes from me, and it leaves me in a worse place, or at best, it leaves me numb. And I have, there's less life, there's less vitality, I lose the purpose of what I was made for. It doesn't just fail to meet our needs. It leaves us emptier. In verse 12, we see what he says about God. He says, The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, small and great alike. He says that, that he remembers us and he will bless us. They, these, are, these are relational words. These are words that he sees what we're going through. The other places that we see words like he remembers us, these are words like we see in Exodus when the Israelites are enslaved to the Egyptians. And as they suffer, it says God remembered them. That God saw what they were going through. He saw that they were suffering. He saw their struggle. And he blessed them and he delivered them. There was action after that. And so they're, they're suffering. And this is he remembers them and that God sees the suffering and he will respond to it. 
It says his, his blessing is for small and great alike. That, that there's a grace here that he shows. That it, it pleases him to give this grace, and this is a grace that, that is, uh, because it's unmerited, it's for everyone. There's no earning this grace. There's no earning this, this blessing that he provides. That this is totally by his love and his faithfulness that he gives this. That we can trust God and his response to us is blessing. That he has a wonderful plan for us and he will meet these needs that we have. See, I think when it's difficult that when I have this pull towards idolatry, I know that I want this and I know that I want this now. And when I have to trust in God's blessing, what I end up saying is, I have to trust that God will give me what's best for me and when it's best for me. When I have a substitute for God, I can say, I want that specifically and I want it right now. With, with trusting in God, I have to say, God, you choose what's best for me. And I trust that because you're faithful because you're loving, you will give me what's best for me, for me, even if it's different than what I'm wanting. And you will also give it to me when it is best for me. The pull towards idolatry just leads us to bondage. It just makes us a slave to the thing that we're idolizing. But God will give us truly what's best in the best time. I'm, I'm reminded of uh, a friend who told me about a time where he took a, a trip to Paris. Um, when you think of traveling to Paris, uh, often what you think of is, is the food, right? You think of this is a place that has like the best bread that you can find, uh, you know, the best pastries, has you know, cheese and wine that's really good. Like you, when you go to Paris, uh, one of the first things is, is kind of the food that you can go and enjoy there. He was telling me about this time, and so he says, we, we go on this trip, we're eating amazing food. You know, it was, it was just incredible, the meals that we could have, and how fresh the bread was, and how, how good everything was. And he says, you know what was crazy about my time there, is by the third day, I'm eating these good meals, and what I start finding myself thinking is, man, I could really go for Taco Bell. <laughs> He's saying, I don't get what's going on in my heart that I have this the, the availability of this, these fantastic meals and cuisine before me, and what I want is this old, like, fast food, greasy burrito. Like, what, what's going on in my heart that this is all that's available for me, but what I'm actually craving is, like, that was great, but, man, I'm just... The, that, that burrito supreme, like, I just want one. And it just doesn't make sense, like, what's happening in my heart and why would I long for something like that, especially when I'm in a place like this and I see what's before me. You know, and it, it takes time for our hearts when we're so used to taking our needs and trying to get our needs met and satisfied by some substitute for God it takes time for us to get used to the fullness of what he gives us. 
we can't just move immediately and say, I'm used to a burrito supreme, and now I can then go and enjoy great French food. I can go and I can have this for a while, but I'm still so used to and so conditioned to, to fast food, it's not an immediate, immediate change. And sometimes it doesn't make sense of why is my heart so torn? Why is my heart slow, so slow to change when I know in my head that this is better? But sometimes I just want what I used to have. and Just give me that, that fast food. It doesn't make sense. And so we have to continue to trust and we have to give ourselves time to say, God will meet our needs but I'm going to have to get used to him meeting our needs. He will provide for us. He'll provide for us in a different way. He'll provide for us in a better way. You know, one of the ways that I, uh, one of the challenges that I've observed in in my own heart um, and with other people is um, it can be difficult to bring our needs to God because of the fact that we don't want to see the needs that we actually have. Like there's a discomfort in knowing that I have a longing that is not met. That I have a need, a need that I can't satisfy, and so it's hard to just sit there and hold that and say, I'm not full I have a need that I can't meet and I have to bring this somewhere and I would rather just not experience it than have to sit there and look at it. And so sometimes some of the challenges, we, we just, we just want to brush it aside and we just want to say, I'd rather just not feel hungry than actually have to wait for that great French food. It would be better just to not feel anything at all than to know I, I don't have, there's something that I don't have and then have to wait for God to provide it. And so sometimes the way that I handle this and sometimes the way that we handle this is we just minimize things and we say, no, 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 it's, it's fine. I, I don't actually have that need. I can, I, I'm fine as I am. And we end up missing out on times where we can experience something that God has for us in a way that he can provide for us. We miss out on experiences and ways that though we would have to sit there and be in the midst of that hunger and in the midst of that need, sometimes it just seems easier to not do that work and not get into it. And so sometimes I would rather just feel like, no, I'm fine. I don't have any needs. I'm, I'm okay as I am. I'm not missing anything, you know, that, that keeps me from at least going to, to an idol, right? So then, you know, it's better to be neutral than to be in sin or something like that. And so I end up just saying, I, I don't need anything. I'm fine. I have what I, all that I have. I have all that I need. And so I don't need to go to God and, and wait and deal with the longing and the waiting for God. That's, that's a, a place that, that we miss out on experiences of God. It's a place that we miss out on the fullness of what God meant for us. It's somewhere where he has a way to meet those needs that sometimes we're ignoring and just not wanting to enter into. And so there, there is maybe more hunger if we choose to, to look at our needs 
but there's also more that he'll provide for us. The, what happens when we choose to trust God rather than trust idols is we experience a fullness of blessing that will satisfy us. Not something that will just fix us for a second and leave us wanting more after this. Just like the Israelites, we have idols too. We have things that we go back to time and time again and hope that one of these times it will actually meet all the needs that we have. Or at least just get us through the day. At least just meet the temporary needs that we have. Just, I just need to survive for now. But these are created things that we're turning to. These are things that are not able to meet those needs. It's like a, it's like a sugar high that will get us through the moment, but no more and it ends up leaving us with a crash afterwards. That there's an emptiness, there's a numbness that we get left with. And said, the psalmist is saying, trust God. God looks at you and he says, I am delighted to show you my love and my faithfulness, that I have a plan and a purpose for you. Let me give you what's best for you. But trust me for this. I, I, I have good intentions for you, and I promise I will provide for you. But we have to wait, and we have to trust. And that's a hard thing to do. If there's parts of this that, that you connect with, uh, I, I just want to tell you that it would be a privilege for me to, to meet with you and to, to talk about this. Uh, any of the, Mike or any of the elders, uh, the same thing, we would be happy to, to, to have coffee or a meal and, and to talk about some of these things. But uh, the, the psalmist is saying, hold out hope. God has something good. Let me, let me pray for us.